a lot of the places that 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 this would really fit in don't have a lot of that IT infrastructure. Don't have That's right. you know it it, it kind of serves it. It, it serves its purpose is my is my point. Yeah. And and again, kind of like what we reviewed during a lot of these, uh, when you find your lane <laughs> and you you have well defined problems. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. When an ERP system uses a specific buzzword or something that customers might relate to, it's typically the marketing hype, but not really the strength of the product. For example, several cloud products might include a cloud word, even if they might be legacy products, just to prey on uninformed customers. But there is one system that really lives to its name called InfoVisual, that has similar visual capabilities and organization that is rare to find in smaller software packages. Also, most of these smaller packages targeted for job shops typically exploit the, the broken processes of the customers. InfoVisual is surprisingly an exception there as well. But is InfoVisual a fit for every business out there? In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to conduct an independent review of InfoVisual's capabilities. We covered many grounds, including its unique capabilities and where it's likely to be the strongest fit. Finally, we discussed the challenges with its roadmap and why the product is likely to be sunset soon. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor or the solution independently for today. We have a very interesting solution. It's called uh, Infor Visual, and the people who have been in the Infor ecosystem or they have touched Infor ecosystem in any capacity, they know that how much Infor Visual users love Infor Visual, but not everybody. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Well, uh, it's going to be a fit. It's not going to be a fit. Uh, before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transformation consulting firm. I've been doing ERP for roughly about 20 years now. Uh, so on that note, I am going to start with Dave for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with leaders in the manufacturing space to help them create systems to free them to drive growth throughout their business. And I come to you with more than 20 years of operational management experience and leadership experience. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Okay, thank you so much for being here, Dave. Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Thank you, Sam. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, my name is Andy Pratico. I uh, have been involved with ERP software for small to mid small to mid-sized manufacturers for the last 41 years. I am in British Columbia, Canada, but I lived in the U.S. for 11 years, and I work with manufacturers all over North America. And uh, I also have a published book that teaches people how to investigate and how to evaluate ERP software. And thank you again for having me to attend, Sam. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Andy. And if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys send your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If you run out of time, our panelists are going to make sure that you receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the quick briefing and a refresher of the different sessions that we have done. And Dave, Andy, remind me, I believe uh, we have done at least four or five related to Infor. So we have done Infor corporate strategy. Uh, that's where we covered the overarching view of Infor. Um, and then we have also done Infor CSI, which is the sideline product. We have done Infor M3. We have done Infor FXE product, which is the distribution product. And then we have done Infor LN as well. So this is probably that is the sixth correct. That is correct. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for the validation, Andy. So overarching Infor strategy. Infor, just like your Apicor, Apteen, they are very purpose-built centric organization, the way they approach their corporate strategy, the way their go-to-market strategy is, and how they like to define purpose-built is going to be, they have many different products, not all the vendors that are going to be sort of purpose-built, they have the same strategy, but in the case of Infor, they have many different products, and each of those products are very unique, the way they work, uh, and they are going to be targeting for, targeted for very specific industries. That is not to say that, uh, you know, their products are not going to have overlap. In fact, there is significant overlap across the products. Uh, and that's probably the reason why some products are not going to have as bright future, especially when we talk about re-architecting for the cloud and making sure that the products are going to have uh, some sort of commitment from uh, Infor Corporate. Uh, and again, Infor has, uh, and I believe what, uh, 200 products. Uh, they have acquired over the period of time. And obviously, they cannot, no, none of the companies can really carry those many products. So they are going to be sunset at one point of time. It's just a matter of time when these products are going to be sunset. Um, so Infor Visual is very similar product as your SAP Business One or um, uh, uh, Microsoft GP. Overall, from the size perspective, the way uh, the the size is of the product, not from the capabilities perspective. Capabilities perspective, it might be slightly different. Infor Visual is going to have far deeper capabilities overall from the manufacturing perspective. You know, SAP Business One and Microsoft GP, the reason why I am trying to compare with these products is because they don't have the same backing from the Microsoft or SAP corporate. Right now, we don't have clear uh, understanding whether they are ever going to be re-architected for the cloud, that's why I am trying to compare that they are probably on similar trajectory. The challenge with most of these companies is always going to be the existing install base. If the existing install base moves faster from these products, then they can kill these products, uh, you know, uh, far easily. But for the most part, you know, most of these products have 
significant commitment on the on-prem world. Uh, most of these products are either going to be sold on-prem uh, or they are going to be so, uh, sold on some sort of either ported cloud or you know fake cloud or whatever cloud. <laughs> so in four visual is the similar story that it does not have clear direction overall from the cloud perspective. Now, when we are going to compare this in the Infor portfolio, Infor Visual is probably one of the smaller uh, products compared to other leading products that have clear direction on the cloud, which is going to be your LN, M3, SXE, uh, and that's going to be your site line, uh, as well as F3. So those five have very clear strategy uh, in the cloud suite world. Infor Visual does not have that. Infor Visual is one of the smaller one, but there are other smaller products in the Infor portfolio. Infor and its partners, they are still trying to commercialize and sell the majority of those products. In fact, they are still selling Infor Visual, uh, not just to the existing customers, they are also selling to newer customers. So again, I think uh, the direction is not as clear where this product is gonna go, but overall, we still have significant install base at this point of time. Um, and and and, uh, and uh, excitement, at least from the customer community. So I am going to pause there for briefing. Um, did I not cover anything that we typically cover for the briefing, Dave, Andy? Uh, I think you covered it pretty well, Sam. You know, I think another another point of comparing Visual to those other products you were describing is more from a technology standpoint. Visual certainly is much stronger when it comes to manufacturing functionality but it may be behind the behind the curve a little bit regarding technology just like gp and the sap business one systems are yeah great point and we are going to be touching on some of the features where the product came from what is the the strength a lot of people talk about different strength from the visual perspective but there's no sort of clear consensus in terms of where visual fits in fact visual actually had two different products uh, you know, that I personally didn't know. I came to know when I was reviewing the demos and uh, some of the collateral and visual had one product for job shop. There was another one for ERP. ERP one was for bigger product overall. Job shop did not have uh, as much functionality. Typically, when we speak to anybody in the visual community, they all are going to say that, you know, visual works really well uh, in the custom manufacturing space engineered to order uh, is what they are going to say. But I have seen visual installed all over the place. Uh, you yep. know, be, be it your distribution, uh, you know, architecture firms, yeah, you name it. I mean, it, it's just all over the place in my mind. Uh, You've you seen know, them with any company with a pulse. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Which, of course, <laughs> is not the way to do it. But, yep. but just a comment on the two different systems, Sam, I saw your PowerPoint. Um, the visual job shop system was developed by the same authors as visual ERP. And they were both purchased by Infor back in 2004. But the visual job shop system isn't supported any further. Okay, that's a great point and great addition. Thank you so much for that. Okay. Um, so mainly, I think we are talking about visual ERP. So basically, you know, if you are looking for visual job shop, if you still have that somehow, obviously now you know that it's probably not going to be supported. So what you are really looking for is the visual ERP. So here's a little bit history about how, you know, visual ERP system evolved. Uh, so it was uh, started in somewhere in 1992 
initial release of visual manufacturing by release after associates 1993 uh, and then 1994 through 2004 and in 2004 in uh, acquired uh, it used to be called visual manufacturing they renamed it to visual ERP uh, and visual job shop was released in 2003 uh, so I don't know what they were trying to do because obviously in four has way too many products right now uh, they had a lot of products for job shop as well and then in 2003 they you know, try to launch one more product, which is just fascinating for me. So obviously that didn't go anywhere, I guess. And now they are trying to consolidate all of that. The um, visual job shop system was meant to be a competitor to some of the smaller uh, job shop systems out there like Job Boss and E2. It didn't have accounting. It was designed for small, targeted at small, like under 50 employee machine shop, job shops. Uh, and it didn't get a lot of traction. It certainly does have some loyalty, but like I said, it's, uh, I don't think it's being supported any further. Okay. Thank you so much for that information, Andy. So uh, moving right along. So in 2004, Infor really acquired from 2005 to present. Uh, obviously, Infor has done a lot of development, but not as much as I would like to see. For example, let's say if you look at Apicor, if you look at the cloud development of Apicor Kinetic, in last two, three years, Apicor has really killed it with their products. So if they can do it in two, three years, if the corporate is really committed to a product, it should not take more than five years uh, to re-architect the product on, on cloud. And that we have seen with many different product lines within five years. Uh, the, For example, Acumatica, you know, within five years, last five, seven years, uh, they are uh, now one of the most popular. They didn't exist in 2015, I guess. Sure, they are going to say that, you know, they started in 2008, but nobody knew about them. Uh, so within five, seven years, they became really uh, popular and big and um, a serious stakeholder in the ERP community. So some of the unique features, and I'm, I'm always looking for those unique layers uh, and the psychology, how the product was really built. And one of the things that I have noticed in this particular product, I know a lot of people talk about custom manufacturing. They, When they talk about visual, they are always going to say, hey, you know what? When you are going to have a lot of different uh, sub-assemblies that you don't want to create a part number four, uh, that's where your visual is going to be handy. Now, I have not seen any other ERP systems personally that allow the sub-assembly without part number. I personally can see some value why that would be a, 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 a huge value add for the companies, especially if they are going to have a lot of sub-assemblies that are going to be built to order. But, you know, the way the functionality for the pseudo sub-assembly works is going to be, if every system treats it differently, for example, in foresight line, they are going to have a phantom sub-assembly, which is not exactly what uh, Visual does, uh, but it has similar functionality um, you know, so the same functionality exists in a lot of different systems. They just treat it differently. Uh, so that's going to be one factor. We are going to be digging into that uh, at a deeper level. But overall, from the product psychology perspective, the way I uh, was reviewing these screens, it came across as, as if it was really created for fabrication shop. In fact, if you look at the terminology across the screens, then you are going to be seeing a lot of fabrication term and not really manufacturing term. The other thing that you are going to notice in uh, visual is visual was really designed for mechanical centric manufacturing. Okay. If it is going to be machine sharp, 
you are probably going to struggle, uh, you know, with visual and obviously visual data model did not advance with the machine shop. And right now, if you look at any of the uh, manufacturing shops or manufacturing shop floors, they are all going to have some sort of CNC machines, which require separate reporting from your labor. So again, those are some of the shortcomings of the product that Infor did not really invest uh, in developing those features uh, that are going to be really, uh, you know, required right now, if you look at the, the manufacturing companies. So we are going to dig into all of that in, in far more detail. But here, some of the things that you are going to notice are going to be very similar to the job shop companies. For example, when we reviewed other systems such as ECI M1, if I remember correctly, and you guys can remind me, for example, you are going to see features such as customer PO on the sales order. That is very common. When you look at uh, companies such as electrical distributors, when you are going to be looking at companies such as any company that are working for a customer are probably going to have a customer PO uh, for their, uh, you know, sales order. So, but not every uh, ERP system is going to support that. So this is where the product psychology is going to be. The other things that I notice is going to be the number of dates that you have. Sometimes those dates could be because of the process failure, just because you need too many dates. Sometimes I have seen five different dates on a PO. Now, why do you need those dates? Sometimes you need those dates because your documents are not really connected with each other and you need to keep track of your promise date, ship date, when you are going to be receiving, when you are getting a call from your vendor. <laughs> you know how that goes. So whenever I see too many dates on a product, uh, that's typically a red flag for me. We have seen a lot of dates in the Genius ERP system as well. So here, in the case of Visual, they have a lot of dates. Maybe they are being used really in the planning or maybe not. I don't know. But typically when I see too many dates on sales order, that's typically a red flag for me. They are used in the planning. Right, right, right. But I mean, how is going to be a question? So yeah, so we are going to be reviewing. So here we are talking about desired ship date. Then we have the promise ship date. Then we have the promise delivery date. And then we have the order date. So now the question is going to be okay, what is the difference between a ship date and a delivery date because you know essentially those two are going to be the same thing and typically when you look at the delivery that is going to be performed by a third party even if you're going to have a smaller tms system which is going to be your page chat or whatever they are typically going to be controlling the delivery date so why do you need to have the delivery date for your planning maybe you do maybe you don't but again depending upon how you have structured your operations uh, typically, these are the symptoms of over-engineering uh, in my mind. I, I, I see both sides of it coming from, <laughs> imagine that coming from where I come from. And I think to Andy's point, you know, in kind of an ideal scenario where you've gone through and you have a really solid business process in place, uh, there there could be some, you know, some utilization uh, of those fields. And from the other kind of standpoint, you know, it, I had to laugh because it really reminds me. I, I used to tell people when I'd walk through a, a manufacturing operation, you know, typically you will find something on a job docket or, you know, sales order, work order, something highlighted, right? And well, what's the point of highlighting it if we're already not reading it and it's 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 documented on the, on the sales order, work order somewhere? It's kind of the same thing, you know, if, if you're utilizing the dates. Uh, to help you from a planning standpoint where you have 
uh, not only committed, um, you know, to your customer a, a enhanced promise date, and you are targeting an internal expedite date or ship date, something like that, to account for maybe that third party, um, you know, which would which would potentially be covered by that third date. I mean, you could see it being utilized, but you know, in my experience, more facilities than not uh, don't have the process in place to back up having all these additional fields. Yeah, and typically, Dave, from my experience, I mean, there are two or three different ways of accomplishing the same task. Uh, if you go through the same ERP process where you're going to have allocation priorities, then you probably would not need a, a date, right? But you could also translate that in a date and use as, as a date field. So again, in my mind, whenever I look for any sort of deviation, okay, if I compare five different ERP, why four of them do not have a date and this has a date. So two, there could be two reasons. Number one, it is trying to sort of solve the, the broken process problem <laughs> or there is a real need in this industry. In my mind, uh, you know, I have personally not seen uh, these many dates being used in any of the ERP system or in the manufacturing. So that's typically a red flag for me. The other red flag is going to be you have the FOB and shipping uh, at the customer order level, which I typically uh, you know like to see at the line level. And this is going to speak that, okay, now when you are capturing this at that level, then you are much smaller size system because typically your shipment detail is going to, going to go at the line level. So that sort of speaks for the size of the system that this is really designed for the smaller companies. The other thing that I personally like in this system and, you know, the whole idea of visual ERP system is it's very visual and they really live by that name, to be honest. OK, so one of the things that you if you are going to be asking any sort of procurement folks or sales folks, they like to see procurement history right on the same screen so that they can see, OK, what was the price of the previous order? And based on that, they want to make sure that they are able to provide the same price to the customer. That happens in your procurement. That also happens in the sales, sales team. So here we have the entire history about the customer right at the customer order level, which is fascinating to be honest, okay? Uh, you know, if you can provide that. So that's probably the reason why, uh, you know, customers really like visual based on these small, tiny, mini features that visual is able to provide to be able to assist the users and with their workflow. Now, the other things are going to be, for example, let's say if I look at, and this is the material planning window. And typically when you look at the material planning, uh, this is not going to be at the drawing ID or drawing revision level. Okay, so this, uh, you know, again, things are getting a little mixed here when I uh, am looking at my drawing revision number for the planning. Why am I mixing my engineering with my my material planning? So I don't know which industry is probably going to be planning at the drawing ID level or drawing revision number level, which is just too granular for me. Maybe some industries do that. But uh, so far, I personally have not seen unless you are trying to solve a, uh, you know, broken process. The other things that I noticed in this particular system is going to be the way the material planning is going to be so intuitive. You have things such as tagging that is provided right on the same screen where you are going to be doing your consolidated uh, supply and demand plan. And by the way, when people talk about Infor being designed for custom manufacturing, they very, very rarely talk about how deep Infor visual is in the supply chain planning, in the MRP planning, which is probably a strength, to be honest, that I have personally not heard anybody talk about. Okay, I absolutely loved the way the supply chain planning is done in the system, but it's very rarely spoken about that, uh, you know, what, what visual can do. So we are going to see, okay, uh, how 
it basically handles when you are talking about planning at the item level or uh, uh, at the plant level, whether you talk about just the material planning or the scheduling, they both are done equally well in the visual system. The other things that are, are very unique that I personally have not seen, I don't know, Andy or Dave, if you have seen in any other industries, I think, uh, you know, there have been some sort of demand uh, to find out the uh, the other layers as part of lot ID. But as such, I have personally not seen where that is going to be used. So here we have the lot ID, we have the split ID, sub ID, operation ID. And by the way, this is the inventory transaction entry. So you have a lot more layers. It's almost like your sub dimensions of your chart of accounts uh, that I personally have not seen in any other system where that may be used. The other things that I notice is going to be the piece level planning and piece level data capture that you have available. And this, this validates our assumption that I initially mentioned that this was probably designed for more, more of the metal fabrication shops or the metal shops. And that's why it has this functionality, which is going to be at the piece level, uh, you know, this plans at the piece level. And typically this is very hard to accomplish because this is going to be uh, a similar functionality as you are going to find in the matrix inventory or dimensional inventory scenario. These guys also talk about dimensional inventory, but it's not the same dimensional or the matrix inventory that you are going to find in fashion, apparel, uh, style business. Their inventory, their inventory is very different. Yeah, completely different. This is completely to do with offcuts, purchasing by dimension, like you said, sheets yeah. of steel. Uh, you buy 10 sheets of steel, four by eight. So your unit of measure is four by eight sheets of steel. You use up half of one. So now you have nine full ones in stock and a 10th one that's whatever the dimensions are that are left over. So you know exactly what to be able to use on the next job. It needs one piece that size. And minimizing scrap, more or less. Exactly. And that's going to be a very interesting point, because if you actually look at the reviews, Andy, that we have captured, they all are complaining about how poor scrap yeah. functionality is in the system. I, so I, I, I read them. I read them. <laughs> so that's where I'm sort of divided that, okay. It's you, okay. It's okay. Uh, that's where I'm sort of, you know, confused a little bit that, okay, you are trying to position for the metal industry. And this is where my understanding is going to be that when you are going to be this in conjunction with your nesting, Okay, nesting is where uh, you know you are trying to maximize the, your sheet metal, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, but then you are not going to be as good at the scrap handling. So okay, so we'll discuss that, but let's uh, discuss some more things here. Now we have some more things at the lot and serial traceability perspective. Now even when you look at the lot and serial traceability, each industry is going to have different layer and different traceability requirements. So even though you might feel that you know what does your ERP system perform lot or serial traceability? If it has that functionality, it should be good. No, because you are going to have many different layers, uh, you know, with your lot and serial traceability. So here, some of the layers that I have noticed that I have not found anywhere else. Number one is going to be, you have the batch number that goes along with your lot number. I think SAP can do that, depending upon, obviously, the larger systems might be able to do that. But even the smaller systems, they have the batch as well as lot. But typically, you don't have the second layer in a lot of different ERP systems where you are going to have the batch number as well as lot number. The lot number itself is used as a batch. It's not a different identification number. But here you have two different numbers. You have the batch number as well as you have the lot number. And then you have the trace ID 
and trace ID, which I find very useful to be honest. If you have two layers, you are going to have a lot more control uh, overall in your traceability. And maybe some industries really need those two layers. Otherwise, they might not uh, have the same traceability that they might be hoping. The other things that I noticed is, you know, for example, heat range and score code. I can almost guarantee that this is going to be a lot uh, applicable in a lot of different fab shop. Whether we are talking about some of the glass companies, they have a lot of different variables as part of the product. Any metal companies, they are going to have a lot of different uh, dimensional inventory as part of the product. And that's the reason why they have the heat range as well as the score code. So by looking at this, you can figure out, okay, this was really designed for the fab shop uh, and the metal industry. Originally, that's, yeah, it was exact. Going back to that comment about that visual job shop system, originally visual manufacturing was designed for job shops. And eventually it became, it, evalu it, it uh, evolved additional functionality where it was a little bit onerous for job shops. So it's, that's why they changed the name to Visual ERP and they, and they rebuilt, they reinvented the visual job shop system for the smaller companies. But, um, but that, that, you're right, that's what visual, was, visual manufacturing originally was designed for. Yeah, and Andy, just on that comment, I guess job shop could mean a lot of different things in my mind, okay? So Ma again, machine shop, custom machine shops. So if you look at the machine shop, I don't think visual is going to be a fit because they cannot do labor and machine reporting, okay? So if you so look at the labor, what? Which? labor and machine reporting separately, that's a drawback right now, okay? At least on the screens, you have to do it together and that's the limitation of some of the ERP systems that were designed for job shops, job shops have become machine shops now, and the machine reporting has to be separate than your labor reporting. So if you go back to your genius, genius does not have your separate machine reporting. They are going to assume that, okay, the amount of time a person is spending on the machine, it's the same amount that his machine is running, right? What's the difference? No, because now we are living in 2022, okay? People go to home, they are going to run the machine for 22 hours. There is going to be automated sensor. So the process is very different now. So yeah, just, just so you know, Sam, Visual does do that. Visual uh, can have different run times for the machine versus the labor em employees. We are going to review the screen. And, you know, we have validation from at least three different screens. At least I could not see that. So maybe we can. Yeah, I'll show you another day. So here <laughs> we are talking about the document life cycle. And this document life cycle, I really admire because this is the very first time I have seen in the smaller ERP system, but this is not SAP. So typically you are going to find the similar document life cycle only in the case of SAP. Which the big SAP do you mean, Sam? No, uh, Andy, we SAP have Business SAP. One? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. SAP Business One has far prettier and far more robust. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, I'm appreciating that Visual also has it. Uh, you know, which is uh, very evident here, but obviously this is running using the legacy code. Even uh, SAP Business One is running using legacy code, but at least you have the visual traceability, which is a big deal uh, in general. The other things that you are going to notice in visual is this is not just the document traceability that you have. You also have the status of each job. So when you are going to be looking at these color codings where it is actually trying to tell you how much material have been consumed, on a specific step, on a specific job, and you know how much 
who's working on which job um, you can see that so so all of those workflows are really easy overall individual uh, system which is not as intuitive in the other systems uh, that i have personally seen in the in the manufacturing space so i really like uh, that about visual this is uh, it's more of a transactional uh, traceability and uh, surprisingly enough the other info product you're familiar with sightline they've adopted that functionality in sightline now yeah but it's really bad uh, if you look at the sightline so, yeah it's really yeah, bad. But I haven't seen it in sideline. It's really bad, Andy. Oh, so boy. again, okay. So when we talk about well, when, you know what, when the software didn't have the DNA to start with, and you try to jam things in, it's like anything, right? You end up having a good little mess. Right. So when we look at, so for example, I always give the example of configurator. Configurator could mean two field on a form. Uh, right. On a site, or it could be a three D configurator. Absolutely. So, you know, so a lot of yeah. uh, uh, companies are going to claim that they have the transactional traceability but when i look at the transactional traceability this is where you know for me the role right. model always is going to be sap because the transactional traceability is inbuilt as part of each of the product that they do uh, and that is just phenomenal nobody does as well as sap this is the first time that i've seen a product that does similar to sap uh, you know which is obviously in full visual which is wonderful okay so scheduling when i look at the scheduling a lot of people talk about how good scheduling is in full visual to be completely honest, I didn't see any difference between what I have seen here versus any other ERP systems that are going to be designed for manufacturing. For the most part, it's very similar. The only difference between visual scheduling versus the other systems that are going to be designed for manufacturing in that the only thing is going to be that you don't require a part number that we are going to be discussing very soon uh, for your sub-assemblies. But as such, uh, you know, when you are looking at, uh, you know, schedule, you are looking at work center-based schedule that most manufacturing ERP systems can do. You'll be able to uh, trace and track and do the what-if scenarios. All of that is possible in most of the uh, systems that are really designed for manufacturing. So I personally don't see that as a plus for visual. There are other aspects of visual that are really strong, which nobody talks about. <laughs> but scheduling is, is, in my mind, it's not as strong as what people claim. You're, you know what? You're absolutely correct, Sam, on the surface. I completely understand. Uh, I'm not sure what other screens you have, but you see what you're describing right here, obviously, it, it has the same functionality as most other APS-type systems. You know, finite, infinite, backward, forward, shifts, all that kind of jazz. But the real, and you can do simulations, of course, by all those different, uh, you know, till the cows come home. But the real difference between visual scheduler and anybody else's is it's not just, uh, it's not just measuring on-time delivery or, or uh, percentage versus uh, uh, the promise state. It's also measuring the profitability of the simulation. So when you're doing a simulation, you can see which simulation will give you the best on-time delivery. But at the same time, it'll also show you which ones will be best, hit the bottom line the best. So you can make your decision, not just on on-time delivery, but of which one's going to make you the most money. So here's my challenge with that argument. And maybe, uh, Dave, you can help me with that. And typically, when you are looking at the profitability, that means you are layering your costing data. You are layering your trade data you know, uh, as part of your scheduling. So in my Just mind, to be clear, this is the throughput calculation that Ellie Goldratt invented for the theory of constraints. 
Right, I understand that, but I mean, for <laughs> what purpose is, is is what is going to be? I don't know. I mean, Dave, uh, do you have any any commentary there by any chance? No. Okay. So again, great point, Andy. Uh, you know, you can uh, look at some of the other screens here. So here, uh, at least when I look at this one, and these are the screens taken from the demo, where it's very clearly evident that the only thing you can do is you have the start run, you have the stop job. I am not seeing machine run. And typically, you are going to see a function for your machine run. And this has yeah, been that's under the advanced tab. You don't have that tab opened. You're on the cost tab. So what you're showing is to do with cost to do with that operation or resource. The next tab over is advanced. And it'll show you what percentage of the time you're going to need employees at that specific machine or other tooling or any other kind of concurrently scheduled uh, resources. Okay, but typically, I mean, when people are working and they are clocking their time, you are probably going to be seeing that up top, right? This you are is, this to be, what you're looking at here is the estimated amount of time. The actual will be captured while it's happening, right? And you'll have a variance analysis from there. This is in the shop floor, Andy. So this must be happening on the shop floor. So this is the actual. This is the estimate you're looking at. You're looking at the estimated time at this resource. Okay. Which is fine. That's, you know, that's that's part of the quote. Okay. But if you want to see what the advanced tab show, shows you for what you're describing, Sam, I can show you another time. Yeah, we can discuss uh, another time, definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. So here are some more uh, comments here. This is the visual job shop commentary overall. So in this particular, they are saying that visual job shop did not really have a lot of different features that were really available in the visual ERP, in most cases, that is going to be related to supply chain management. That was not really available in the visual job shop. And we all know from the other discussions that we have had so far uh, that the job shops, they don't do a very good job of the inventory management or the supply chain management. And that could have been the reason why they took out all of that functionality from visual ERP to be able to design the visual job shop. I think you're right there. So here, one of the things that you are not going to notice when you're looking at the manufacturers, they typically require the aftermarket support or the service. And for some manufacturing companies, this is going to be okay. But let's say if you are the OEM, typically you are also going to require the service functionality, service scheduling. That is something that I have personally not seen in the uh, documentation in any of the demos. So that is probably going to be a drawback that if you have any sort of warranty workflow, service order, service scheduling, uh, you know, visual is probably going to be going to fall short there. And it's really designed for that, um, you know, in and out jobs where you don't really have any sort of uh, support required after once you ship the products. Okay. So here, and this is where, uh, you know, the observation is. So let's say if you look at the terminology, the way the product is positioned, you are going to look at, you know, fabricated, you are going to look at consumable. And these are the terms that are really used in the uh, fabrication shop then you are going to have auto issue, you know, at the part level. Uh, again, typically when I look at the auto issue, that's going to be at the bomb level. Uh, here, this is at the part level. So that could be a red flag. I don't know. This one uh, is going to have really the, the backflushing functionality uh, at, the, at the line or the material level. So that could be something that you may want to dig into. Yeah, uh, just so you know, it does have backflushing through... All the material levels, all the labor levels. So whichever time you're making a sub-assembly, which is common to being made before, and you only want to track it at standard, you can just do automatic automatic back flushing at that level, both labor and material. 
Okay, so now we have some of the other unique layers here where it is going to be, uh, you have the part and site correlation on the part maintenance itself. That is very unique as well. Uh, you know, I don't think I have seen that with any other ERP systems that we have reviewed so far. So here you are designing a part for each of the site, which is great because, you know, here you are doing sort of the uh, multi-site planning, but you typically don't have that option right at the part uh, which could be good or bad, depending upon how you use it or view it. I'll tell you uh, one of the cool things on this screen, though, Sam. While you're while you're here, you have your you have your arrow pointed at the fabricated checkbox. When you check both the purchased and fabricated item, so it, it could be either, depending upon what you're going to be doing this time. Maybe you're going to buy that subassembly. Maybe you're going to make that subassembly. The cool thing is, is that if you check both of those in the master file, when this demand occurs it will ask you which you're going to do this time. Do you want to clarify that a little bit? So let's say, okay, from the user perspective, let's say if I am checking that fabricated as well as purchased. So yeah. so typically I am checking that because when my MRP is going to run, it's going to say, okay, do you want a job order or do you want a purchase order? Right? Correct. So in this particular case, let's say if I have both of them checked, so what is the system going to do again? When the demand occurs, it will ask you if you're going to buy this or manufacture this this time on this specific job. Okay. Okay. So that could be a very useful feature, I guess, because then you are enabling your salespeople to mention, but then why? Be your planner, not the salespeople. The planner would be the one doing that. This is just a master file you're looking at. Okay. So very interesting piece of functionality. How, how does that track back then? I'm curious, Andy, like where does that data then live to know? Is what that actually a, happened in that job? Yeah. Is the, So it's at the job level? Yeah. It's got okay. complete traceability of all the transactions of every work order, you know, from for all history. So you, you, so you know, in this example, we purchased part number one, two, three, and we did not make it. But Sam was correct about the maintenance and the... Uh, uh, aftermarket service. Visual tried coming out with some functionality at one time, but it was half-baked and it never was successful. Okay, thank you, uh, guys. So here, some of the layers that I've seen that are very unique for me, for example, let's say the process type correlation with your item, I have personally not seen that uh, at the inventory level. Uh, you know, so that's again, it could be very unique to a specific industry. And when I look at process types, typically that is going to be for the, uh, you know, fabrication shop because they are going to have many different processes. Typically, they are going to be the combination of your chemical processes plus the mechanical processes of, you know, the industries that are going to have a little overlap of mechanical and chemical, probably, uh, you know, this product was really designed for that. Then you have the uh, mixing of cases with part config. Uh, again, you know, that's very unique that I typically don't see uh, on the item screen. Okay, so this is where I get the, the whole sub-assembly functionalities, which is very unique. So far, uh, you know, uh, again, we are going to look at the comment from the reviewers as well to get their perspective, what they think of the product, because obviously they have lived through the product for a long time. But here, uh, you know, if you look at the design, the way this product is designed, um, you know, here you are probably not going to require the part number for these sub-assemblies. Most ERP systems require the part number. You can declare them as Phantom. So your planner or the planning engine is not going to use or 
you know, utilize that for the planning itself, that part number. But as such, you have to create a part number. And this particular functionality could be useful in a lot of different shops. For example, let's say if you have a very custom architectural fabrication shop uh, and if you are going to be sign shop, print shop, um, you know, typically for them, they just don't want to have like a million part number. Uh, but sometimes that there's going to be a little overlap uh, between how uh, your engineering does things versus how your production does th things. Uh, in the case of visual, it seems to have mixed both the engineering as well as the production a lot. But again, if you are going to be very custom shop, then you probably would want this inside your ERP system. Uh, well, just, just realize what that is. That's not really a sub-assembly, those things you see on the right. Those are sub-work orders, okay? So, and these are never, these are custom sub-work orders. So they're never stocked. So they're kind of like a phantom in the fact that once they're assembled or built, it blows through, in this case, to the mill, it looks like, where the line takes you to. Oh, the weld, welding operation. But, so those are not sub-assemblies. Sub-assemblies that are put into stock would be one of the folders you see in the left-hand column. The, the, uh, I'm, I'm colorblind, so I can't tell you what color that is, but I think it's red. Uh, if it was coming out of stock, a sub-assembly, it would be one of those red things. These so, are sub-assemblies. These are, these are sub-work orders that are never stocked. Okay, just to be clear, I think there, are, there is a terminology issue here. So when you talk about sub-assembly, do you always refer to them as the ones that are, being, that are going to be in stock? Is that what you're saying, Andy? Uh, Subassembly would be going into stock, yes. And then issued back to the job at the next level up. You see, these, these are issued to the job, to the main job, immediately upon the completion. There's no transaction. As soon okay. as you finish that sub two, it immediately gets welded into the main assembly. So this could be a very visual specific term, to be honest. Uh, you know, from what I have seen with the other ERP system, they might have subassemblies. Um, you know, that could be in the stock or they could be built to order. Um, right. So that doesn't need to be always in a stock. So when I right. say subassembly, I am using it loosely that it is going to be a bomb that is going to be as part of your parent bomb. And then there is going to be a you know child work order that is going to be associated with your yeah, parent the, work order. Work this is an engineer to order work order you're describing here. Because these sub these sub jobs are absolutely custom. So the, the, the real difference between this presentation and what you see in most every other ERP is that those sub-assemblies and other systems have to be that require part numbers are put into stock as an inventory item before they're brought to the next level in the structure. Now, what happens when you put an item or a structure, a bill of material into, into stock is it loses the visibility on the, on the cost breakdown of that sub. In this case, you may, and you also sometimes lose the uh, con connectivity of the scheduling from one level to another when it goes into stock and then back to the next level up. With this one, the costing is always there. The complete breakdown of every sub is there. The scheduling is always clean. And like I said, you never ever stock what you're describing. The, the visual calls those legs, not sub-assemblies. Right. And I think, you know, again, the only value that I personally see here, and that's my perspective, <laughs> okay, is going to be the requirement of that part number, to be honest. The other things that you mentioned, in my opinion, I think you can do that uh, in the other ERP systems as well. I don't maintain, know. Maintain the, uh, when you, well, let's think about that for a minute. When you take a sub-assembly and you put it into stock with any ERP, 
it rolls up to one cost number, which is called the material cost. You lose the labor cost. You can go back to the work order that built that item, but in the actual build of this structure, you've lost the cost breakdown of that subassembly. It's only one material cost. Whereas with visual, it maintains the complete cost breakdown of labor and material throughout the entire build. That's okay. why it's good for ETO. Interesting. Okay, so some more comments here. And by the way, MEC, one of the things that I noticed is if they have a very strong uh, project management functionality, which is very rare to find in the smaller manufacturing systems. So here we are talking about the WS fun functionality, uh, you know, which was very, very, very clean uh, that I have not find, found in the other uh, manufacturing ERP system that are going to claim that they are really strong in manufacturing. So here, even if you look at the, the overarching structure of WES, which is very compelling in general. Well, uh, let me explain that a little bit. Uh, the, the project piece that Visual developed was designed for aerospace and defense contractors in the U.S. because they're very highly audited by the government, right? Uh, so when you have a company here in North, in, 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 that's not in aerospace, that's not a governmentally uh, audited organization. Sometimes this module is is a shot, shotgun shooting flies, if you know what I mean. It's it's way too powerful. It's really designed. It's not designed for an engineer to order equipment manufacturer. It's more designed for a, a government contractor. Okay, just so you know, that's it. It is powerful, but it's usually too powerful. Okay. Anything else, guys? Okay, so let's look at some of the reviews. So number one thing I personally like to see is how recent is the review because obviously there are going to be some development done on top of the product uh, and it's not fair to the product, um, you know, if these are going to be old products. Obviously, we like to look at the profile of the person who is reviewing, what is the size of the company. So here we are looking at the machinery shop, um, you know, 11 to 50 employee. And uh, some of the comments that they have mentioned in four operates on proposed availability rather than actual if a work order is late to the due date and four still treats the material as if it is available now which is sort of a shocking comment in my eyes and the reason for that is because uh, you know because in four visual as we have all heard andy speak and uh, you know a lot of people speak that in four visual is really known for scheduling but the users don't have the same feelings here uh, you know, now it could be because of the user, it could be because of the system, but I have seen... Or it could be in, the original implementation, you know, as, you, as, it, as it, with most of these ERP systems, there's lots of different companies that sell and implement these things. They don't always have the credentials to implement it properly. Right, but at the same time, you know, when you see a trend in a specific review, that means that's probably real. If I people well, are reporting the same thing... It depends. Yes. It, it's possible, yes. Yeah. So that's what we try to do as part of these forums that, you know, we try to look at the trend. So here, the other things that we have noticed here is engineering changes are cumbersome, manual changes required of parts, assemblies in your library. Again, this is where the visual sweet spot was. So the user is not feeling, uh, sharing the same feeling that they are having challenges with the engineering changes. Now, there is something going on here with the RAF changes or the way you are going to be carrying your inventory. I think there is a real uh, you know, concern there. So make sure you are going to be taking closer review uh, of that. Here, they are saying software for a continuous manufacturing environment. So they have recommended that this might work for the continuous manufacturing environment. 
and I personally don't know any ERP system that can work for continuous manufacturing environment. Uh, it's that complex. I think he means pro like like repetitive manufacturing is what he meant, not continuous. I don't think it's process he's talking about. He's talking about probably repetitive manufacturing, yeah, which I mean, is really the opposite of what visual design for. But that's beside the point. Everyone has opinions. Yeah. So here uh, the user is saying we have had to write multiple add-ons macros to get uh, visual to work effectively for us, which is, uh, you know, a shock because, yeah. you know, based on the way uh, the uh, the design, the screens are designed, you would think that visual is probably going to be good. So now the second review is coming from electronic manufacturing, 51 to 200 employees, and this is the quality and manufacturing engineer. It was selected as a Y2K solution. You know, they wanted to replace homegrown solution. Here they are saying bill of materials are facilitated by engineering master, flexible editing capability. The version controls of version control for the bombs can be detailed or vague as the process desired dictates. So that seems to be a red flag there. At times a shadow part, okay, is necessary in the manufacturing process. So this guy is complaining about shadow part. Okay, the entire visual community. What, what is the shadow part, Sam? Could you that shadow it? part is going to be a part that is going to be without part number. So here you are saying a shadow part is going to be mandatory in your manufacturing process. So if the user is complaining about that piece of functionality, there is a serious problem there. Remember, the only time that that capability is used is when the item is never stocked. So in this case, it sounds like he's trying to stock those items. And there's something going on there. Again, yeah, you know, yeah. review that, you know, why that is happening. So I'm not yeah. saying that, but there Absolutely. could be a problem. So yeah. make sure you review that. The shadow part uh, does not require an inventory transaction. And they are saying that it does not require an inventory transaction. And it is made as a, you know, separate process, sometimes out of sequence to the general process flow. In four visual version 6.3.5 does not have that capability. Do you, so know I what, do you know what year 6.3.5 came out in? Any idea? I don't have that, Andy. 1996. He's never upgraded, is what that's telling me. Maybe. Yeah. But he's reviewing in 2018, so yeah. No, no, he's know. got the same version he's had for 20 years. He's never upgraded. Okay, some more comment here. Uh, there is no easy way to differentiate between engineering documentation and production documentation. Huge red flag. You know, and that's what my perception was. When I look at the product, they are trying to mix too many things, engineering as well as production. That's not how ERP typically treats these things. And that's where I think, you know, that's where the real problem is, at least with me. I don't see them to be together as part of the same system. Um, you know, typically engineering goes through a very different revision process versus your production. Here, the user is saying that it was intended for mechanical manufacturing, which is right as well. That's my perception too. Uh, for electronic manufacturing process, uh, this is not ideal. That's what the user is trying to say. So we are close to our time now. We'll review some more. So here uh, the user is continuing with the electronic manufacturing process control is not ideal when referencing in line or custom processes used to build product. For material control, it is excellent unless a modification to a standard product is required. And we did this on 60% of the product going out the door. The Cool product feature that removes material from an assembly requires the creator of the work order to calculate the percentage of cost. The removed items are from complete something, something. Occasional data collisions are happening. Uh, so obviously you have data integrity issues, uh, corrupted transactions at times, the accounting procedures in place found them by the end of month where they were corrected. The processes need a higher level of accountability and control 
the processes can be formalized with workflow scripts to ensure the higher higher level of control yeah so again these are the consistencies that we found in the reviews again pay attention to those when you are reviewing you know the system and i'm actually going to open up for the commentary that you guys might have uh sure i'll i'll, I'll go first i mean you know having a comment from someone that's on version 6.5.3 i mean i know other companies that are on that older version and obviously there's been upgrades and enhancements and improvements since that time however uh, they're still using a 20-year-old software package, and it's they're still finding it acceptable. So that's kind of impressive. And the other, other thing that's kind of nice about Visual is kind of the opposite of what we were talking about earlier regarding web enablement and some of the newer technologies, is that 30% of the Visual customers do not ha don't even employ an ER, uh, pardon me, an IT person, a professional. So the, the whole advantage of being in the cloud and not requiring an IT person or a server, and Visual only, only needs one server. It's not such a strong selling feature with Visual. I mean, the customers that like Visual and use Visual are the ones that do want to be, remain on-prem. If, if you want a cloud solution, you're not going to chase after, you're not going to investigate Visual. Yeah, yeah good. good. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, yeah, good commentary. Interesting, interesting functionality, some new pieces that we haven't seen before. So that was, that was good to learn about and, and kind of hear Andy's takeaway on that. So yeah, for me, some interesting takeaways in terms of specific functionality for this particular uh, product. So and when the software first came out and it was, was 1992, it was revolutionary. I mean, it was the, ver the world's first Windows-based ERP for manufacturers. However, it's not 1992 anymore. It's yeah. 2022. And, you know, probably around the 2010 mark, Visual wasn't getting as much uh, R&D as a lot of other systems. And they, it's been surpassed regarding technology. There's no question. But functionally wise, it's got functionality that no other system includes. And so, you can, to, to, to kind of your point too, Andy, about a lot of the, a lot of the places that, uh, you know, that, that this would really fit in don't have a lot of that IT infrastructure, don't have, right. you know, it, 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 kind of serves, it. It, it serves its purpose is my, is my point. Yeah. And, and again, kind of like what we reviewed during a lot of these, uh, when you find your lane and you, you have well-defined exactly. you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean the yeah. comment about scheduling, you're right. I mean, the first pass looking at that uh, scheduling screen, it looks like everybody else's and that's what, that's the misnomer that everyone does when they're looking at scheduling software systems. But there's a reason why Visual actually does have customers using their scheduling system. And it's not that screen. It's the reasoning behind it. So you know exactly why you're going to be late at all times. And you know exactly what to fix at all times. So you can be proactive instead of being reactive. And, you know, I, I know I'm not trying to convince anything, but like I know a customer in... Uh, Detroit that has a has a a promise on their website that uses visual and they promise that we will be on time or we'll pay you and they've never been late they've never paid a penalty and their lead times are the shortest in their industry so you know there's some pretty cool things in that tool yeah. but to be you know to look at that screen at one fell swoop and see how it why it's different than other scheduling systems it would take a lot longer discussion I think the big point behind that, though, Andy, is, I mean, it, it still is going to come down to internal processes. And no question. 
No. Yeah, the tech, the technology there is there to support those processes yeah. and the people executing. But by and large, that that uh, case study you just laid out there, uh, I guarantee they they have, they have a well developed process. Yeah. And that and you know what? The reality they say that only you know we talked about statistics of people being successful with ERPs. They say that one percent of manufacturers are ever successful with the built-in APS engine in any ERP system. Now, the fact that Visual has 10% that actually do it is, it sounds terrible, but it's actually kind of impressive. All right, guys, we are really close to our time right now. We can take some short comments, otherwise we need to close. Hey, for, you know what, Visual's been around for a long time. It's very, it's very function rich. It has a lot of functionality. If technology is not in consideration, if you don't, I mean, that was mentioned about reporting, well, it depends on which modules that person has. Like commonly, people don't buy all the modules, and so therefore the reporting is difficult. But if technology is not an issue, if you want a system where you don't need an IT person, and it doesn't take much to maintain it for care and feeding, and especially for custom manufacturing, visual is pretty amazing. Dave, your assessment? No? Uh, I, I kind of already summed it up. I mean, I, I agree with where Andy's at. You know, it's... With any of these solutions, it's really about understanding your your own business model. Staying in the lane, taking in your lane, and you know, uh, putting it up against as you're evaluating, pu- putting those systems up against your understanding of your model and your processes. Okay, and my Absolutely. personal assessment of this product is going to be: if you are looking at the roadmap of the product, make sure you verify that from the OEM if they are really committed and feeling can find the roadmap. Uh, we have not clear commitment on the product. So make sure you are paying attention to that. On that note, uh, that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we review one vendor or the solution independently. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another solution. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insights tonight. Thanks, thanks guys. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about NDE Practical, head over to essoft.com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brian G. Shannon, who shares his insights into the importance of centralizing shared services for large global rollouts. Also, the interview with Paul Bregel, who shares his insights into the operational challenges and quick fixes to deliver desired KPIs for a chemical company. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.